Assalamu alaikum. Super fortunate to have on Henrietta, one of very few British professional cyclists out racing on the continent. She actually started her journey back on her father's tandem. Legit, I thought she was pulling my leg as well. Anyway, we got her on to talk about her pathway into cycling before then going through the ranks at British Cycling and then making the switch to Belgium at the tender age of 18. It's super insightful. It's super interesting. Let's get into it. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Gapped podcast. I have with me Henrietta. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Pleasure to be here today. No, thank you for coming on. So, uh, before we get into it, where are you, Henrietta? So, I'm sat in Dinobrum, which is halfway between Ghent and Brussels in Belgium, um, in the famous Flanders area. Why are you there? So, I race for a Dutch UCI team, um, but I was a bit different in the sense that I didn't want to live in Holland. Um, and I knew people that lived in this area, and I came, and yeah, you could say I fell in love with the area. Um, it's the place to go cycling. Yeah, and uh, so I, I have a uh, I have trouble pronouncing your team name. It's obviously Dutch. Uh, c- can you do it for me? So it's GT Crush Turner. Okay, so uh, just to put it out there, you are a professional cycling. Uh, sorry, a professional cyclist. Uh, a British cyclist, which is few and far between uh, on the continent. So uh, good on you. Uh, so we've got you on basically talking about the pathway for women uh, to get into prof- professional cycling from the UK. Uh, so just tell us a bit, a bit about yourself and how you got there, basically. Okay, so going back to the start, uh, my father brought a tandem and we went on a cycling tandem holiday. You know when you told me that story, Henrietta? Yeah. I thought it was a joke. Oh, no, but, no, no. but if you're putting out on the podcast, then it's legit, yeah? Yeah. Oh, wow. So, like, as a child, I was a little bit obese. So, my father was, okay, how are we going to deal with this? So, we got off eBay, this tandem, and at the time, we lived down south, and we had to drive up to Yorkshire. And I remember him dragging me into the car to go and get this tandem. So, it came back, and this was the start of the journey. Um, so, we started, like, training for this tandem holiday. And uh, the first day, there was a place that you'd booked, but there was two places that called the same name. And he had accidentally booked a youth hostel in the furthest away one. Oh, okay. So we had to do 90 miles the first day. Ouch, okay. Yeah, so that was a long one. But it was about seven to ten days, and it was really the start of what got me inspired and enjoying cycling. Um, and then I joined kind of the local club, which was seven miles away. And there was one person that was really good at motivating me. You know, every Sunday we'd go for a club run and come back for cake and then go home. And I got a road bike for birthday. And How old are you here, Henrietta? So about eight. Okay. Eight. Oh, so you're going on club runs at seven, eight years old, yeah? Yeah. On okay. Wow. Well, okay. Okay. Sweet. Um, so, yeah. And then I got a red Kona. Um, what d- down south? Yeah, so oh. I lived in Norfolk at the time. Oh, okay, okay, because you're from yeah. the Lake District now, aren't you? Yeah, okay. I am. So okay. yeah, that kind of really started it with that club support, um, and then yeah, getting a cyclocross and road bike, uh, 
then really just doing events and you know and never forget we have this uh, sporty 25 miles off road and I died and they sang 10 green bottles to get me home <laughs> the sea was so bad wow. I fell faster towards this finish line yeah yeah no, and brilliant. it was that kind of community and atmosphere that really started it off and then I moved up north um, and got involved with Border City Wheelers and then luckily Beacon Wheelers. And again, there was that kind of fundamental people from the clean family, etc., that really helped me progress. Um, and I started doing NSR, so national schools are racing and regional schools are racing. Okay. So people that don't know, that's the British Cycling Programme. And at this age, I was probably 12, 13, 14. Um, and that progressed, so I got on as a last year youth, so 15, 16 year old, to the national program, and then again as a junior, kind of 18 years old, 17, 18. Um, and during that progression, I did the national races and then also international races. So I got the cycling time trial scholarship, and that allowed me to have funding when I was 17, 18 to go and race these UCI races. Oh, brilliant. At kind of Kermesses in Belgium and Holland. Uh, um, what's a Kermes for those who don't know? So a Kermes is basically a lap that's probably from four to seven kilometers and is a race on closed roads. Okay. Um, Base uh, roads that... People generally drive and whatnot, but they'll close yeah. it for the race. Okay, sweet. So normally, you'll find that a village will host a Kermess once a year, and you'll turn up two hours beforehand, and you'll be lucky to see, you know, one railing or sign. And then about an hour beforehand, it all pops up, and about oh, 150 riders descend on this town. Um, so yeah, it's quite a atmosphere and culture within, in itself, and sometimes there's... Uh, like small rides for children's or a waffle stand or something they have some festivities around oh, the race. so a real festival yeah yeah okay yeah nice yeah um so then i ended with british cycling when i was 18 and went to a dutch club team which is actually the team i'm at now it's just at a higher level um and that was kind of a big move so i was 18 and i moved to holland to race essentially and I secured the Dave Rayner Fund. I think we're going to go into what yeah. that is later. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, and then I went one year to a Spanish team in Basque Country and learned oh, to climb. Very uh, nice. And did some prestigious races like the Giro, etc. Oh, wow. Very cool. So, yeah. And then I went back uh, to the Dutch club team that moved up to UCI level, which I'm still with now. Oh, brilliant. So... You're with British Cycling from what age to what age? So 18, you left British Cycling. So what what age did they pick you up per se? Um, so um, you have kind of the NSRs and RSRs, which a lot of people can attend if they're at a certain standing. Okay. So that kind of began with me 14, and I'd say ended at 18. Yeah. But I was on for two years the British Cycling program. So when I was 16 and 17 or 18. Oh, brilliant! So. With your journey, um, I imagine there are other ways to get into it. So you obviously managed some decent results. British Cycling saw that. They put you on bigger races, bigger races, bigger races. And then you went over to Europe, signed with a pro team. And that's your pathway. Um, what other pathways uh, are there for young young adults and even 
more mature women because you get women coming into the sport at 25, even even 30 year olds coming into the sport still at professional level. So what other pathways are there? It's really hard to say that. I mean, I think British cycling is one pathway and it obviously favours the track heavily. Um, Dave Rayner for that kind of under 23 category offers a big opportunity, but it really is down to the person itself. And I hate to say this, as in every way of life, your contacts. Okay. Um, there is no pen pathway out there. It is about talking to people, it is about getting stuck in. But what I think we were discussing beforehand, we've learned, is that cycling community is very inclusive. Yeah. And that you try something, oh, okay, I'm good at that. And there's those steps there for people to help you. I appreciate that. That's that's uh, that's very cool. Um, uh, have you come across the Zwift uh, entry into pro cycling? That's very interesting. Yeah. So <laughs> how to kill yourself on a turbo successfully? Yeah. No. Absolutely. Yeah. But that's that's makes for a good viewing. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. No, it's very they interesting. In Belgium, also um, another system, and they have e-racing and bits. Oh, okay. So that's quite as well oh brilliant so uh we touched on this prior to coming onto the podcast like women's cycling is still still developing in many ways but so is men's as well but you find uh, very few male adults coming into the sport and making it pro but you you still have the likes of woods uh roglic came into it fairly late but you get a lot more women coming into it uh at a more mature age why, why is there that discrepancy between men and women do you think you come into it very young, obviously, and uh, yeah. that's good on you. Yeah, I think that's a really hard question, and there's no one answer. Um, I think you have seen that the mature women at the peloton, so like Ella Van Dijk, Van Vluten, are winning, and they kind of are 30 plus. Yeah. Um, so there's certainly those role models there, and often on the harder courses, that strength and muscle maturity really does help. Okay, uh, so... We'll come back to pro racing in a second. Uh, let's go back to the UK and our listeners probably want to focus more on that. So when you look at uh, women's racing here in the UK, I've been to a few races where they have a women's field separately. Uh, you very often see the field is a lot thinner than the men's. Why do you think that is? Sometimes you have one, one person show up and I've seen things on Instagram even where it says, Right, no women has signed up. We're going to have to cancel, unfortunately, the women's program and stuff. What's going on? I think naturally the proportion in England of men to women cycling is is different, and that will reflect in the race numbers. Um, but I think the awareness, you know, uh, some people might or women might not have the self confidence, etc., yeah. etc. And I think the more the community can grow and the more inclusive it can be then you'll see women start to have a go, etc. Yeah, yeah. So what can organisers do on their part to encourage more women to get into it, do you think? I think safety. Okay. Um, that, that's a big one, you know. Women are concerned about their safety. Um, prize money, okay. etc. Um, but I was recently on a commissaire course and I agree with what the commissaire said, who'd rather spend his budget on making sure the course was safe and there was more ambulances than having a higher prize money. And I agree okay. with that. Yeah, no, um, that. So, yeah, it's a hard one. I think events like 
Army GP and LPGP. I know one of them is a national event, but that kind of shorter um, attraction so their family can come along and they can have a almost like a, a good evening, but that person can still race works quite well because they've got support there and etc. Okay, so for the men's side, uh, in order to get into racing, you've got to buy a silver membership for British Cycling, which I believe is £40. You can get the gold, gives you a few more perks, that's £80. And then the licence itself is 40 quid. and then it's as easy as going on a British Cycling website, finding a race. Is it the same for the women? Yeah, so it's exactly the same, exactly the same process. And often the entry will be kind of Wednesday before the Saturday or Sunday race, and for a national event, a month or three weeks beforehand. Sometimes you have mixed races where you have... A cat four race, it will be men and women mixed, but the women will have their race within the overall race, if you know what I mean. So do yeah. they? So they might come thirtieth or tenth, for example, but they might also be fir- the first woman. Do they still get the same points, like the ten points as uh, the first male would, or how does it work? Do you know? I think it does. Uh, the points there has to be a certain number of people in that race. Okay. So the women's category. Etc. I'm a little bit unclear because I have been asked. No, no, I appreciate. It. No, no, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, there should be some clarification. You can ask at your local race or have a look up on the website. Gotcha. And uh, do the categories work just the same as the men? Cat four, cat three, cat two, elite, yes. etc. Oh, no, brilliant. Yeah. Okay, awesome. So back on to uh, the continent. Uh, you race for a Conti team. Something called a Conti team. It's I believe one level below the World Tour which we had uh, someone on previously, Sophia. She rides for Team UAE. Um, what's the difference between her team as the World Tour and your team, the Conti? Okay. What I'll do is I'll just explain the... Hierarchy. No, perfect. Yeah, yeah. Um, so at the top, you have World Tour, which yeah. Sophia's in. Yeah. Then you've got the level I'm at, which is Conti slash UCI. Okay. Then the tier below that is something called a club team or a national team. Yeah. And then you have your regional. Okay, so... Um, yeah. So the big difference between Walter and UCI, um, other than the license, is that Walter automatically get priority into races than a UCI team. Okay, so they the, essentially do more Walter races than Okay, those. so the biggest, the biggest races, they get an automatic in, basically, and you guys have to yeah. apply, basically. Okay. Yeah, so then it goes Walter teams, and then it's done on a number of UCI points. Okay. And then sometimes they have one or two wild cards into a race event. Okay, so do national teams get into that wild card, or is it only UCI teams? Yeah, so those national club teams can get into races. Um, and often the Belgian races pick, you know, Belgian club teams. It's often yeah, yeah, yeah. within that country. Or, yeah. yeah. Okay, so... Going into the nitty gritty of the differences, like in terms of uh, racing aside, is your equipment different? Is your lifestyle as a pro different, or is it is it very similar? The support, um, etc. Equipment is already specific to the team. Yeah, sponsors. So, yeah, I just like yeah, the yeah. Men's, it really can be anything. Okay. Um, with the UCI Walter team, you get a bike normally. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Etc. So, but every team has what they offer, maybe very slightly different to what the next team offers. 
Okay, understood. But the support, general support is, I imagine, very similar. It's just the races that you get into is slightly different, I imagine. Um, I think the support, again, is individual to gotcha. that team. Okay. Um, so, so, yeah. Right. Um, as far as lifestyle goes... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's all individual. Um, so, yeah, like myself, I had to make the choice to either almost give up cycling or move to Belgium gotcha. uh, due to kind of the Brexit situation, etc. So I chose to, <laughs> to go right in, right or wrong, and uh, create a life for myself here in Belgium. So what did, uh, it's, it's good you mentioned Brexit, because I wanted to ask you this question. What did Brexit mean for British, uh, British athletes racing on the continent? Yeah, so they gave a 90-day curfew. Um, so you could spend 90 days abroad and then you had to come back for ni- uh, 180, I think, in the UK. But whatever the exact regulation was, it meant that unless I was going to travel for each kind of period in each race, yeah. um, I wasn't going to be able to stay within that boundary. Oh, wow. And I'd already spent some time in Belgium, so I made the choice to kind of move here permanently. So I'm very proud to say I have my residency card. Oh, nice. Good on you. <laughs> And it's all, the, it's all those little things um, that kind of, yeah, you have to sort out, etc. Okay, so how did you, you obviously moved when you were 18. Uh, how did you sort out those things back then? Did you have support or family um, with you at the so, time? So I was 18 yeah. um, and I kind of spent the season. So it was really, yeah, recently that I made the permanent move, okay. um, etc. All right, understood. Uh, so you're talking broadband sorting out, uh, new phone line, uh, bank details, all of that. So you had to do oh, all of that, I imagine. The, bank palaver, yeah. the residency palaver, the car palaver. Oh, well, wow. okay, yeah, yeah. You yeah. name it. But I'm very lucky. I have some uh, good people that help me here and understand the system, etc. Oh, excellent. And, uh, so, yeah, I'm not unsupported. Uh, re- re- really good pleased to hear so you ride for a dutch team you're in belgium you said because you love the area and whatnot and in fact you're not even very far from holland you could probably ride there uh, in a few hours um but what's different from say the dutch team uh, to say a uk team and I, I know you've not been um part of a team here uh in your adult age but how is it different then to your spanish team what, what's different between say a dutch team spanish team uk team Oh, this really is kind of comparing apples and pears. Okay, understood. <laughs> um, I think, you know, every team is immersed within that culture of the country. Um, you know, kind of, it, it is completely different. You can't compare them entirely. Um, what I would say is that, yeah, there, there's different styles of racing. So obviously the Spanish style was a lot more hillier. Um, it was probably the best I've ever been at hill climbing. Okay. But, compared to then the, you know, the true Dutch, when you look at something like Ronde van Drenth, which is in Groningen, so if you go, you know, much further north, right yeah. to the sea, at the okay. top of Holland, which is long, long straight roads, um, a lot of wind, you know, we have two or three riders from that area, and they are very proud of it. It is, you know, they are from the area of Drenth, etc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and they are exceptionally good at riding in the wind and really good sprinting. Okay. So you have the kind of, within the, the different cultures in the team, but yeah. also completely opposite types of riders. 
Ah, understood. Okay, so it's not just the support and it's, it's the riders you get as well, which is very interesting. Ah, that's really cool. So you moved over when you're 18. What, what made you want to switch so young and do you have any regrets really? So at school, I uh, took the attitude of getting my grades so I could go to university if I wanted, but I was always encouraged to cycle. Oh, wow. um, okay. Because I was never going to go to Oxford or Cambridge. Let's okay. Like yeah, yeah. Um, and I was quite talented at cycling, so I was told. So it kind of was to the point where everybody's going to university. I could secure the day Rainer fund. Um, and I come off British cycling, so why wouldn't I go and do that? And gotcha. then get something like, I think, in the winter of 2018, I got my mechanics qualification. Okay. So cycle mechanic, and then luckily the coaching one with ABCC, and add to my skill set like that, while still pursuing what I wanted to do, essentially. No, that's really good. So you've got, you're a woman mechanic, which is, again, very rare, so, uh, yeah. no, good so, on until recently, we had one of the only women mechanics for our team as well. Oh, brilliant. Team. Brilliant. Um, I, I think I saw on Instagram very recently, there's one uh, woman mechanic in the Pro Tour. She uh, She's yeah. for Shimano or something like that, yeah. the Shimano Nisha team. So, oh, nice. That could be you one day, maybe when you retire. <laughs> nice. Uh, so, could you potentially... Uh, I appreciate not many, not not a lot of people would want to move to the continent. Could you have made a career here in the UK, racing your bike as a woman? I don't believe so because at the time there was, I think, one UCI team. Okay. So I was coming from like a national level, let's say. Yeah. Um, and in the continent there is a number of UCI teams, but also there is a lot of Kmesses. So. Um, the Kamesas are a really good race where you can actually get stuck in. It's at a level where you can attack, you can sprint, even when you probably are 18, 19. Um, and it's a really good opportunity to come and showcase yourself. So, like now, because there's quite a lot of classics on, there's probably, well, there is one every week. Um, if you search the French calendar as well, because yeah. half of Belgium is French in the Walloon part. Gotcha. But kind of going to August, you can race four or five times a week. Wow, okay. And that's for the whole of August. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's typically when uh, people have school holidays yeah. or they're more free. So you often find the English come over for July and August and just they you just race. Yeah, yeah. Ah, that's That sounds amazing. And I've heard a lot about the Kermesses, how it's uh, a lot of hand, underhand tactics go on and whatnot. Is that the same with the women or is it just for the men? Um, I think you certainly get to know the riders and how they ride, okay. etc. Okay. And they have preens, and some of the preens can be quite good. Okay, nice. Uh, so let's not get into the bribery and whatnot then. Uh, <laughs> so how is racing on the Kermesses different to, say, an English race, if, if at all? Oh, no, I have Tactics or what? Uh, um, so... Yeah, I would say... Okay. In Belgium and Holland, they may be slightly more punchy because the races, unless you go into the Wallonian French part, are mostly flat. Yeah. There are some exceptions, etc. Um, but yeah, in the UK, you have bits like Ilkley-Otley, which yeah. is maybe quite similar to a Kermesse, but shorter. Okay. Um, up to kind of GP Rydell, and um, there's one up in Northumberland. 
stage race. Okay. That's really hard. Yeah, yeah. Do you ever come back to the UK to race now, or are you full on the con- continent only? Um, fully on the continent, yeah. simply because there is the level out here, um, and kind of normally the race schedule is quite quite compact. Okay, gotcha. Uh, fair enough. Uh, priorities with the team, right? So. Um, you got a fantastic result very recently, actually, uh, 14th place, which is the highest placing for your team, from what I understand. Uh, what's your role in your team? Are you like team captain, sprinter, climber? Um, so in the kind of flatter races, which don't massively suit me, yeah. so stuff like what was healthy, aging tour, etc., um, I try and play more of a team captain role and help out. And then in the race I came 14th, it was actually kind of my local home UCI race. Oh, nice. Um, and it really suited me, so I'd wrecked on a lot of that course and kind of knew it was my training road. Nice. And I knew it suited me, so I really wanted to go for yeah, a good result. Yeah, yeah. And uh, do you have freedom in your team to do that? Or is, there, is, it, is it quite strict, you know, you're going to race for uh, X rider or you're going to look after Y rider? You know what I mean? Or is it, have you got the freedom? We always go into the race with a plan. Yeah. um, And commit 100% to each other. But obviously, things change in the race. Yeah. So you really have to be adaptable, etc. Normally, we have radios. Um, Okay. Yeah. So in kind of UCI 1.1s and Walter, you can have radios. And and how many times does that break, though? Like, you hear a lot of stories of uh, you can't really understand what's going on or. You hear one thing, but there's another thing that's actually going on in the race. How is yeah. that? So that race I came 14th in, our radios uh, were not too good working-wise. So uh, are you saying that because your uh, DS told you to go back and support someone and you were like, no, no, I can't hear you. I'm going for the win. You know what I mean? Is that what it is? No, 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 no. no. Okay. Um, but I think that really means that on-the-bike communication is really important and that, that one person to make the decision is also vital. Okay, gotcha. And so you've got Amstel Gold next, am I correct? Yeah, I've got a Volta Limburg Classic, which is a kind of national level, but a lot of international riders this weekend in the same area. Yeah. And then Amstel Gold next weekend. Gotcha. And uh, Amstel Gold, it, it's not the biggest race on the men's calendar, but it's, 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 it's up there, especially after what Vanderpool did uh, a few years ago. Um, is it just as big for the women's or is it bigger? How, how does it rate in the calendar? It's quite big, you know, it's, it's leading into the Ardennes week. Okay. Uh, with Amstel Gold, the age, Fast on the Age, Flesh Walled On, etc. So those oh, are nice. kind of the really iconic races. Gotcha. Um, I wrecked the route a couple of weeks ago and it is going to be a hard race. No, nah, no. Nah. Good. It is very open. Yeah. Um, a lot of drag. So we basically have a straight line of 70, 80k yeah. onto the local circuit that they did last year, which is is a tough one. Yeah. It's going to be a good race to watch. Uh, but it'll, it'll suit you though, right? You're you're a bit of a yeah. punchy climb. Okay, nice, good. So we'll be watching you. You know. Um, so do you have your obviously a UCI team? Are you gonna? Uh, do you have aspiration to push up to World Tour or uh, what, what's your plan? Yeah. Otherwise, they wouldn't be racing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's all about that progression, okay. etc. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, for this year, I want to grow into more of a team captain's role, etc. Okay. Um, but that definitely is a long-term aim. 
Gotcha. Uh, Henrietta, we're going to pause for a few minutes. I've got prayers, uh, but we'll be back. Yeah, we'll be back in a few minutes, hopefully. Right. Thanks for waiting, Henrietta. Um, so me and Rob, uh, you know, our good friend Rob, uh, Brain Box, uh, he, we, we were speaking, you know. Um, it's difficult to make a living uh, on a cyclist wage, even for men uh, at a fairly high level. You know, there's probably a few hundred men in the whole world who earn a decent salary. So how is it with women? Is it the same or only a handful of women earning a decent salary? How does, how does it work for women in the sport? Um, I think the top riders really get a decent salary. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's my point on that, and it's it's all individual, like everything. Nah, fair enough. Um, so, are there teams like just like have, we have Ineos who are paying bonkers for uh, their riders? Do you have a uh, women's cycling team doing the same, or is it fairly the same across the board? How how does it work? I'm not really knowledgeable. Nah, fair enough. No, nah, it's cool. Uh, no, nah, it's cool. Um, so. Talk about yourself then. Uh, we mentioned, or you mentioned, you get support from the Dave Rayner Fund, and I've heard a lot about it. And well, what can you tell us about it? Okay, so Dave Rayner Fund is aimed for riders that are under twenty-three to come onto the continent and have a chance to progress their cycling career. Is that for British riders only, or is that across the board? It's mainly for people that live in the UK. Okay. Yeah. Um, so really this is kind of, you asked me about a pathway, Yeah. this is one of the big ones out okay. there and again it's about you securing your own team, okay. it's about you making your own pathway but they're giving that financial aid and essentially community Okay, understood. Um, for riders to really have a go and try and make it. So the fund really supports the accommodation and food costs etc which is massive. Yeah. Um, out there and you often get you know there was when I was on it a, a community and group of English riders out here so you get to know we all lived in the same kind of area okay um, so you end up almost in a support network with fellow riders sometimes okay going through the same process and thing as you is that a one-off payment or is that they helped you from 18 19 20 is, is that how it works or so is it you apply each year okay so you normally get kind of March to September. Okay, and uh, is your application based on how good you are or is it based on other things? So it's mainly based on your results. It's about probably, I'll put some, if you're filling out a form, the entries normally close October, November. Okay. Um, it's kind of what team you're in, the placement, etc., the details of a cost breakdown, your results etc and then you send it in and then you normally get to know early the next year okay i imagine this dave rayner's probably put in a few million pound if you add up all the years he's been doing it and how many riders he's got underneath his belt is is there a way of um supporting that if if people want to yeah. support it so they have a dave rayner dinner each year but they also have the tap to dales um which is a sporty that's coming up i think it's on the 14th, 15th of May, and you may still be able to do that, and that is a really good cause, you know, it's 100 miles out in the, the, the Dales, yeah. um, and you can go and support a good cause, but yeah, it's a foundation set up in memory of a rider that tragically died, Okay. if you Google the Dave Rayner Fund, you can find out all the information on there. Gotcha. But, no, I appreciate it, um, 
yeah so if listeners if you want to support british riders uh, making it on the continent you know what to do um so did british cycling support you in any way financially in terms of making the switch or is that now they they don't they don't do anything once you move over to the continent how does it work um so i came off the program okay and then it was really up for me to secure a place on the team gotcha uh, i'm still in contact with my junior coach and okay. we've had discussions etc about you know helping future riders when they come off the program Brilliant. what what do they do etc but i hate to say it's about contacts okay okay fair enough um Hopefully things will change and it will become a level playing field. But uh, cycling is a very, very small sport. I'm quickly yeah. learning and it's about who you know. Um, and yeah, but once you're in it, uh, as you mentioned, people are fairly you know, open to helping you out and whatnot. So good on them. Um, without the Dave Rayner fund then, would you be where you are? Probably not. No, okay. I mean, I do owe a lot to them. They gave me the chance to experience, you know, essentially two different cultures, two different teams. Yeah. Um, really get out and race and have the opportunities. I think that's what I can't stress enough is the opportunities. You know, every race, no matter if it's a Kness or a World Tour race, is an opportunity. Okay. Yeah. All right, fair enough. So you've been in the women's peloton for about, what, four or five years now. How have you seen things change? Have they changed? And is it for the better? Um, I think, yeah, things have definitely changed. You know, um, women are having more of a voice. Yep. The prize money is very, very slowly becoming more equal. Okay. Um, or better. And often you see in social media bits about that. Um, the safety of races, I certainly know last year after each race there was a, uh, by a, the Cyclist Alliance are polled about road safety, etc. Okay. Because in Belgium, there's a lot of what we call road furniture. Yeah. So uh, traffic islands in the middle of roads, etc. And it's really useful for each of these to have a marshal on. Gotcha. You know, when you're traveling at 45, 50k an hour. Yeah, yeah. And you're really trusting the person in front of you. Yeah. You really hope they're not going to ride into a traffic island. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I get that. So going back to the prize money very quickly. Um, with the men's side, like I imagine the pro, the pro peloton, the the men in the pro peloton don't even bat an eyelid at the prize money. Um, it ha like is it a major thing for the women? Like I, I appreciate it should be equal, um, and we're not going into that. That's not the conversation. But like, it, is that a large chunk of what women earn? Is that what it is? Um, so when looking at the prize money, I think you have to bear in mind that there's often split between the teammates. Okay. So it may be 600 euros. Yeah. But yeah. then you've got to split it between six people. Yeah. Okay. No, I understood. Understood. Okay. Fair so enough. That's the same for the men's, etc. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But like, you, you see some of the biggest races, and uh, this is going back to what me and Rob were speaking about that just the other day. It's like the prize money and the salaries isn't huge. Um, so. Uh, earning like I don't I think Gent Wevelgem was like twenty thousand euros and I imagine people like uh, Wout van Aert and Matthew Vanderpool won't even care whether they get even like all of it or a little you know what I mean so uh, but I appreciate for the women's it'll, it'll, it it really boosts uh, what they're trying to do um, if they do get that twenty grand or similar um, so just to wrap up in that case. Um, 
before we go into the questions from listeners, how are you finding the scholarship program? I'm loving it, yeah. I'm still ready to get stuck right into it. I've been doing some commissaire bits. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I've got more of that tomorrow night. Um, okay. And then level two starting. So, I'm excited. To level two coaching, is that what you did? Yeah. Okay. Uh, no, okay. That's interesting. I, I just had in my mind that I was the only one to yet to do level two, but it's, it's okay. Oh, no, no, no. So, I did my ABCC qualification two or three years ago so I could go in straight BC level two okay um but yeah it's just about getting it started but yeah, I absolutely. think the group as a whole is yeah a really interesting group absolutely uh, so. absolutely so what do you aim to get out of the whole thing after two years I appreciate it's still fairly early in the journey and you're still thinking about it at least I am um but yeah what, what do you hope to get out of it so I really want to complete my level three BC okay yeah, yeah. and then look at kind of the road track time trial uh, performance kind of end okay gotcha gotcha and um you spoke a lot about giving back and uh when we first met at the launch is that part of uh is that what is part of like you hope to get your coaching badges in order to give back and hopefully get more people in the sport is that what what it is yeah i think when i look at my pathway there's been certain people that without it I wouldn't be where I am now yeah yeah, and then, yeah I, I recognize that so I want in some way if I can help somebody to do that okay no no that's brilliant that's brilliant and uh, I wish you all the best for that so uh, going on to the Instagram questions then so we yeah. put out um, a post on Instagram uh, basically saying we've got you Henrietta coming on she's a professional cyclist etc and we open up the floor for questions from listeners so uh, I've got a few here, um, if we just go through them very quickly. Yeah, So, rim brakes or disc brakes? Disc brakes every day. Really? Yeah, simply because in wet conditions you can stop. So, I've been in a situation uh, at Walter Race, yeah. but I've been on rim brakes, and it was Ronde Van Drenth, so half on road, half off road. And um, what half off road? What are you talking about? Well, quarter off road, there's like some sections that's off road, so you're in the forest. Okay, interesting. Um, first I'm hearing, but okay, yeah, yeah, go on. So it's a Walter race. If you look up Ronda Van Drenth, okay, I will do. Um, and basically, we're going into an off road section, and I pulled on my rim brakes, and the person in front of me was this, and I couldn't stop in time because obviously, you're going into a narrow section, yeah, 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 yeah. And I ended up crashing. So that's the simple reason. It's a horrible feeling. I've also had it in Spain where you put on your brakes and nothing happens. Okay, so, okay, fine. If it's completely dry, rim brakes or disc brakes? Rim brakes for a hilly course. Oh, nice, nice. We, but, we... Yeah, I have to say, one feeling that is probably the most scared I've ever been is yeah. when you're in a peloton yeah. of like 120. You're going down a slight hill and you put on your brakes and nothing happens. No, and you're going 55, yeah. 60k an hour. No, I appreciate that. So uh, you use a bike differently to, than most of us, I guess. So Yeah. Uh, yeah, fair enough. Um, That's not a good feeling. <laughs> I get that. Uh, so you've broken bones previously, I'm guessing. No. Totally oh, not. good on you. Good on you. It uh, bounced well. Okay, I'm uh, So uh, you probably can't answer this because of sponsorship uh but do you have a dream bike 
and don't say the one I write. <laughs> and if you can't say, then you can't say. Uh, well, you can say the one I write, I guess. Um, that, that, that says it all. This is kind of a mechanical thing with me, is that a bike that's simple to work on. So when you oh, okay. look at a lot yeah, yeah. of the look stuff, or um, maybe like the giant Trinity time draw stuff, oh, yeah. it's all integrated. Yeah, yeah. So to change your stem or change something, you're there for about five years and you're yeah, working yeah. with um, Torx bolts that are kind of T15, T20, which round for fun. Yeah, yeah no, so, no, I get it. I've got that. Yeah, I've got the Trinity. would be one that looks good, number yeah, one. It's yeah. fast, but also you can maintain without too many problems. So basically, you're talking about a 10 or 11 speed uh, mechanical... Well, I might go to 12-speed DI2. But then uh, you have electronic issues sometimes. But uh, I guess, all right, fair enough. But it would be rim brake, wouldn't it? have uh, problems with mechanical polymer coating. No, you did, fair enough. No, you're a mechanic. You you know better than me. But yeah, fair enough, fair enough. But yeah, I've been, uh, I work in a bike shop in Belgium and we've had a couple of 12-speed DI2s. And it's been like Christmas Day when they come in. <laughs> yeah, okay, fair enough. Um, so moving on, do you believe the UCI has a fair representation of women on its governing body? You might not have knowledge of this, to be honest, but uh, it's a question someone's put out there. Yeah, I don't have massive knowledge of this. Okay. Um, but from the outside perception, no. Okay, fair enough. Um, so moving on, if you could affect one change in women's cycling to make it more accessible, what would it be? to yeah. have more of a commerce system. So what I mean by that is lower uh, costs for people to enter. Yeah. Um, probably more races and more like your village puts on a race, which gotcha. is how it is in Belgium. Yeah, yeah. So how much is a commerce? Because uh, it's like £20 a pop, a crit here, and that's, and, and that's cheap. You know, you get the road races, which are 30, 40 quid I've seen, and that's, that's mental. It adds up very quickly. So in Belgium, because I'm in a UCI team, you pay five euros less. Okay. So it's five euros, and you often get that money back when you give your number in. Wow, so um, it's five euros to race? Yeah. Four pounds. So and if you're in a club team, I think it can be 10 or 15. And still, um, okay. Yeah, so it's quite cheap. When you go into the Wallonian part, it's maybe five, 10 euros more, but you're going to get change out of 15, pounds, uh, 15 euros. Oh, wow, okay, interesting. Um, so that's where I need to go next, basically. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what is your biggest regret in cycling? Now, now you're asking me a hard one. Uh, it's not me, it's the listeners. Blame Ash. <laughs> biggest regret? I don't really have one. I think you just have to grasp each opportunity and be really driven. No, okay. You know, it's, it's up to you in this sport to, to make it. People will help, people will facilitate. Um, and if one thing doesn't work out, don't give up. Yeah. You know, you need to go your B plan, your C plan, your D plan and have a really good support system in place. Because okay. certainly if you're going to move abroad, whether it be for cycling or generally in life, there are going to be those moments where you need somebody to cry to on the end of the phone yeah. or yeah. a shoulder to cry on. And that, that's not something to uh, be ashamed of, I don't think. Yeah, yeah I appreciate that. So um, there's two left. So one was... Uh, day in the life of a pro cyclist on race day. Okay, so it really depends if you stay in a hotel 
um, or if you travel from home. Okay. But get up. I tend to do some stretching for about five minutes. I have a set routine. Breakfast, and then that, if you race in the morning, it's normally anywhere from three and a half to two hours before the race, um, and that's quite big, quite carb-orientated. Uh, you may take a bread bun or something made for about an hour before the race, and we normally have a carbo drink to okay. top up carbohydrates. That's before um, the race, is it? Yeah. Okay, so yeah. So then we get to the race. Um, bikes are set up by the mechanic, and then, yeah, it's briefing if you haven't had a briefing. So what's the plan for the race? Yeah. Um, presentation, and then getting your gels and bars and warming up, and then starting the race. And yeah. Yeah, for the start of the race, it, it really depends. If you know there's going to be a critical point in 50, 60K, you might be slightly more relaxed. But a lot of these classics, you know, the race is almost 30K, and it's the first 30K that count. Okay. And uh, just from me then, very quickly, what's in your bottles? Race, um, where are you racing? We have ISO and Carbo. Okay, fair enough. Uh, that's in both bottles, is it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and uh, the fellas might want to uh, tune out for this one, but uh, Fatima asks, how do you keep up with training during the time of the month? So I track it, and often women can be irregular or maybe different if they're on uh, birth control, etc. Um, but yeah, I, I track it, and then I know when it's going to be. Um, and there's a lot of science out there, you know, some science does say you can actually do more intense stuff in the first couple of days. Okay. Um, some women are really affected heavily by the first couple of days with cramps, etc. So I think it's really number one tracking it so you can understand when and where, when it's going to be. Um, number two, recognizing how it affects you. Are you on day one absolutely with pain, you can't do anything, or you're normally quite good? And then make a, a process or a method of dealing with that. And if you do have a coach or somebody that helps you, it's not something to shy away from. Okay. You know, you, you do need to talk about that and how it's going to affect your training. I appreciate that. So um, this question from my side. Um, so sometimes I feel rubbish. Uh, I, I don't have a time of the month. I, you know, I feel rubbish, but you get on the bike and you feel good sometimes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, is it the same for women sometimes or can yeah, you feel rubbish be cramped up and etc etc and then you jump yeah. on the bike and you you feel you feel pretty good is, is that the same or when you're on the time of the month or just yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Tell yeah. Me about. um i think generally exercise does help it um sometimes yeah you do need to take a paracetamol or an ibuprofen but yeah it, it really is individual but you may be in a situation where you are not feeling great, but you do need to race. Gotcha, gotcha. So it's looking at managing it. And when you get your year plan for your race program, you can see, and there are some athletes that have gone on birth control to alter their time of the month. Gotcha. So at their peak event, that they're yeah, at yeah, their yeah. desired point in their cycle. Yeah. Um, so there is ways of managing it. Okay, and I guess that's a discussion you have with your team boss and your coaches, etc. Yeah, I wouldn't do anything lightly. I would certainly, you know, see if you can get hold of a trusted doctor, gotcha. your local, well, GP, or do you have a relationship with one, your coach, and have a bit of a think about it. It's not something to do on a whim. 
No, good. Uh, thank you, thank you, Henrietta. That's uh, thanks for coming on. Uh, very insightful, and uh, it's not every day we get a professional cyclist coming on. So appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Really?